0: Hello and welcome to this week's Stats 1 podcast with me, James York, and Ted Knutson. Always w- my, my erstwhile colleague here, Ted Knutson, is with me today. Uh, how are things? Are we getting fancy today? <laughs> this sounds like we're fancy. <laughs> how are things with you, Ted? You in good spirits?
1: I'm hungry. Yeah,
0: yeah we got. I'm hangry. We got to fly through this podcast before lunch comes and Ted, Ted starts ranting. So if the, if the <laughs> the content speeds up later on, it's because Ted got hungry.
1: I'm like an early riser generally somewhere between 6 and 7 and and I I eat first thing and then in the office it starts bomb like I'm like okay it's 11:45 I got to go get food and I was like you eat lunch really early like what do you mean this is this is like a totally normal time especially in America Uh-huh we not so not what was the last
0: not so poorly reviewed anywhere but we've uh, we had we've been threatening to try something uh try a, a place in Bath recently uh the four of us went there yesterday and we were disappointed because they gave us small portions. I'm not going to light them up on the podcast, but <laughs> you know when you just want enough food, and it's like if they don't give you enough food, it's like we're not going to go back there. So it's a shame, but that's that's the way. Wow, it goes. we've
1: this is a flying start
0: to the podcast, James. <laughs>
1: We're we're even better than we normally food, food are. Food
0: racks on in Bath. We could, we could do a good job.
1: To the new people, I can only say I'm sorry. It's usually not this you bad. You can
0: cover the high end of Bath, and, and the rest of us will cover the lunch end of Bath. All
1: right. Um. So I, this is funny. Like my life, I don't actually get out and eat in Bath very often. Like unless we have people in from out of town and we're we're hosting them or something like that. I don't eat in this city. <laughs> I I eat uh in other cities when i'm traveling but because i have three children and a startup um you know the the whole sociable thing is uh is tricky for me so right yeah. we've got, we've got, right, got you questions. guys have questions yeah yes and- yes see we got there we're two minutes in and we fucking finally got there jesus people are just going to never listen to this podcast again this is
0: how about you've highlighted something you like i don't i get a feeling we've not got enough because there's loads of, loads of other ones but <laughs> we'll see how that goes um so let's just get into it. Let's just let's just go for it. So, question one: How do you use stats to narrow down your wide wide net of potential centre backs to a smaller shortlist of ones looking at worth looking at? Ted, how do you do that, James? Well, centre centre backs remain an interesting uh, you know an interesting position to actually look at from a defensive perspective. I think one of the things that that came out when we when we Devised our data set and added in pressure events. Was that um, uh, centre backs tend to like invoke the fewest pressure events of any position on the pitch, apart from goalkeepers. And when you actually stop and think about that, that's actually a good thing. You do not want your centre back uh, charging out of defence, uh, like following people all around the pitch. However, if they do step out, so to speak, then they want to make them make it count. So maybe you know your centre back that does make some tackles that might be a good thing but it's, it's a forever a nuanced process I think to kind of like get the picture of what the centre back does uh, like how you know how frequently are they actually required to actually clear the ball um, it, Tyrone Mings is someone that I think has come up as like you know someone who just blocks the ball an insane amount now that's again there's there's the shades around this like how important is this has he, made, has he contributed to the shot in the first place uh, you know stuff to consider but you know the, the guy that just is a magnet to blocking the ball, like that might be useful. Certainly, in a certain style of team, if you're recruiting for Burnley, for example, you might be interested in in uh, that kind of player. So, yeah, it's um I haven't really answered the question. I've talked rather generally around centre backs. And it's stats, okay. But, like um, you've given you've given a sense and a
1: framework, and I think that's not a bad start. uh So, in my experience, like I was actually pretty happy with a lot of the centre back recruitment we did over the years. Um, including like Johan Barbe, we we signed um, Bieland, we signed at, at Brentford uh, for reasons, and uh, John Egan uh, was another one that we we brought through now in the Premier League um, with Sheffield United. And <clears throat> it's very much on based on what skill set do you want or need them to do, and then you use data in order to narrow that down. And and the tricky part with center backs is they they typically play in a two or a three. So like there's a group of them, Uh, they run in packs as it were. And what you have to do is you have to figure out um, kind of what their role is necessarily in that pack. And often stylistically center backs matter more than, uh, or style matters more to center backs and center back recruitment than almost anybody else. And that's like a a pretty big deal. So like you need to to do your best to profile what style they're playing in and therefore use some of that information to to evaluate them better. you know, and it's different in in different leagues too. Like you know, certain leagues, like lower leagues in England, you probably need somebody at least one of your two centre backs that's pretty good in the air, because uh, you know the balls in the air a lot. Uh, in other leagues, where the balls in the air a lot less, maybe
0: that's less important. Something that we've had um, that's come up a few times, I think, over over years, is um, people asking for left-footed centre backs, and it's like, yeah. That's, that would be nice if there were like as many of them as right-footed centre-backs it's just uh, you know the natural But people think, like right we'll have a left-footed one and a right-footed one it's like yeah well I, we can we've got <laughs> you know, opens opens coats you know, full of centre-backs kind of thing 85% <laughs> They're to <all> right-footed. 15% <laughs> yeah yeah
1: uh-huh. Maybe less than that because like the best left footers get moved to more valuable positions. So yeah. Uh, yeah, that one's pretty tricky. That was that was something actually
0: what the, uh, that came through when I was looking at pass footedness as well. Was uh, I did I did a little thing on Arsenal some while back and it was like all of their centre backs at that point were all like really right footed and their their pass tendencies kind of reflected that and i th- i think possibly you can slightly upgrade even aimeric laporte like who's obviously a big player for manchester city like his his value and his role uh, the fact that he's you know really adept passer and a, you know left foot center back but yeah like it, it is it is something to consider you know if <laughs> you've you've already got three good you know three foot center backs at the club uh, you know do you want to go and get another one? And unless they're a big upgrade, then maybe you, you want to create some balance there. And and that obviously, from a data perspective, that's something that we collect and we, we can actually go at and look at. And uh, it hasn't always been the case. You know, don't get me wrong. You can scout a player, see find out if he's right foot or, or left footed but we can actually tell you if they're out there remotely adept with their wrong foot. You know, from a data perspective, in a, in a matter of seconds. So, yeah, yeah,
1: that was one of the exciting things that came out in the the IQ Tactics upgrade, and um, it's about cue was that like you could now look exactly at you know the success and the different um, you know types of passes that players attempt from different zones to different zones or different players with each foot and even someone you know as, as majestic as Virgil van Dyke, the passes he attempts with his right foot very very different from the ones that he makes with his left uh, especially in his own half. Uh, I think the other thing to note is that like in the modern day where pressings fairly important and and prevalent actually. Like, not having that left-footed centre-back really cuts down uh, your your open play options and your build-up options uh, in, in the back, and it makes you a lot easier to systematically press because, you know, if you close down one side versus the other one, you have a pretty good idea of where the ball is more likely to go to.
0: Vaguely, and this is only tangentially related, but it's just come to mind, there's been a little bit of chat on my timeline this morning about Calvin Phillips at Leeds, uh, you know, these their defensive midfielder, and like saying that he's he's he should get you know boosted up into the England squad, and I think that that's an interesting kind of like semi-related kind of like role role question about like you know someone within a Bielsa system thriving in a Bielsa system. I'm sure we've seen this before. I'm sure he had a, um, a defensive midfielder at um, Marseille was it? The guy that went to Stoke and was wasn't wasn't so good. My, my mind's slipped, but um, Johnny and Bueller. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that, that that interesting question about like role, uh, you know, role players within systems who you like you know really kind of come to the fore and can succeed with these systems and whether that translates and stuff and that that's a question that, that pervades across all kind of recruitment you know if you if you understand the team that you're looking at and you know the stats that a, a player will actually kick out uh, uh, will very much be related to like what they're asked to do and the style that they play and you know w- will that translate across into into an, you, the team that you're recruiting for or, you know, remains remains an open question and something something to examine and and consider and especially in these kind of like defensive roles I think you know so defensive midfielders centre back and stuff a lot of the time you know you're 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 not reading the runes you've, you've got you've got information and you're trying to process it and it's all part of a bigger picture it's, you're never going to just sort a column and, and be like right this guy's top of the column sign him.
1: Not with centre-backs. That's not how it <laughs> no, works, no. no, no. As, as much as you might like it to be that way as a technical recruiter, you're like, no, no. Sort, sort by column is uh, is a little more nuanced here. <laughs> sort uh, by at we... least
0: two columns. There you go. <laughs> the, the secrets are out now.
1: <laughs> Damn it, James. You've given away all the secrets again. All right, come on then. Uh, hang on. So uh, there's a question that's not on here, but you mentioned England, so I figured we okay. might as well pick it up. Uh, is Jordan Pickford the best English goalkeeper? And can you give us a little more info about Premier League goalkeepers this season?
0: Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, you landed that on sort me. Sort
1: by column, GSAA per <laughs> percent, Jordan Pickford. Uh, so this is, actually, there's interesting because like we can do context around this one too. Um, so most of the Premier league, uh, grades is slightly above average in, in shot stopping. And that makes some sense because it's one of the top leagues in the world and and clubs could recruit from anywhere. And, um, our data set gets bigger and bigger. So like GSA percent, you know, looks at it and (laughs) yeah. Um, and we've explained this stuff on statsbomb.com many times over now. And you know, if you ever have a question about something we're talking about, you can just pop over to Google and put in Statsbomb and then topic. And in this case it'd be like goalkeeper evaluation or framework or whatever. And you'll find out a lot more about what we're talking about, because we don't have time to tuck into all the explanations on the show. But all right, so at the top of the list uh is is Allison. And he's been really good basically for the entire time that we have data. Uh, Vicente Guaita is another one. I think Mike wrote about him recently. Dubrovka is up there again. And, man, I I remember having arguments with uh, Newcastle fans uh, maybe a year ago. About Dubravka versus others, and I was like, we think he's really good. He was
0: good, did not he? Just from eye test, like first from the, almost his debut, he looks solid. It's quite funny looking at this list. You got Alison at the top, and you're like, oh, well, he's he can't kind have of played many games because there's so few like goals against. So him. few <laughs> shots. <laughs> it's like, no, actually, he has he's played quite a lot of games? I was like, um, he, he, he was he was <laughs> injured for a while. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so. And, and, like, this is just
1: filtered to, like, sort of first string uh, goalkeepers, so, like, you know, the ones that play a lot of time. Um, what's interesting is, like, you scroll down the list, you scroll down the list, scroll down the list, scroll down the list, we know that De Gea hasn't had a great year. Like, he's basically average for goalkeeper mm. shot stopping, which has fallen off a bit. Um, yeah, Fabianski is, is, is you know, still considered to be quite good. Uh, Bernd Leno is, is quite good as well. But we get down toward the bottom of the list, and um, you hit Jordan Pickford, who's a bit below average this year. And... Like that's across the whole list of of uh, EPL goalkeepers. So like now he's down at seventeenth uh, in the list, and he's kind. Con- that's pretty consistent. He's been like around average or slightly below average basically every year that we have something. The interesting one here, though, is, I think is is twofold. Uh, one is Nick Pope, and and Nick Pope at Burnley like has, back in seventeen eighteen. Uh, looked like an amazing shot stopper, and now we have him at like you know uh, minus three point two uh, GSAA percent this year. So like out of out of a hundred shots on target, he would give up an additional three point two goals, something like that. But like, didn't he spend the entire year out injured last year? Yeah,
0: I think you could be right. Yeah, he was he was out for a long time. So yeah, and
1: we have flagged this as something that like there's a lot of uncertainty around, and we actually have talked, I think, a little bit on here, and certainly you know in person with people about modeling this um, like what happens with a long-term goalkeeper injury and basically you kind of have to, to reset all of your priors and make the the goalkeeper uh, model like very noisy around that because if they've been gone for a long time and you kind of assume an injury or you know I don't know retirement or something in a, in a league that we don't have like you then don't know anymore and uh goal, especially physical injuries and long- term injuries for goalkeepers seem to impact them as much as or more um than it does with other types of players and i I mean this is a hunch right now. It's not there's no good injury database to like really do work off of because um, there's you know disguised information and there's also like literally medical regulations about gdpr and stuff like that but pope is is down near the bottom and then who's the last person it's
0: still kepper isn't it Keffer just never, never i, I feel bad there. when we have to say these things <laughs> i mean that's the thing like you i mean we when, when we kind of like built um Derek Derek yam yeah, our old data science built this model i need you kind of went big on this look like, like i've looked at a bunch of things including shot stopping and you know various activities include you know clearances and activity on the ball contribution to you know the build up and all these kind of things and he was like I can't see anything about this guy that makes me like him and you know basically it was like well you know you've got you're paying world record fees for seemingly you know average keeper and in actual fact it's kind of gone it feels like from a just from a shot stopping perspective on a relatively you know it's it's not like a huge sample that means that you can you know Say with absolute certainty that you know Kepa is not a good shot shotstopper. But there's enough there. There's enough of a hint for you to say, right? Maybe this wasn't the best idea. And I think you know this is this is where this is where we're at with Kepa. And there's even story. I mean, um, Caballero played it last week. The story that Lampard might move might try and move on for him. But when you pay seventy two million quid for a keeper, then that's tricky to get out of it's a
1: tough breakup is what you're telling it
0: really is yeah you know they, you, you've got a lot of pets to share pets children you know there's, i bought the tv i want to keep it that kind of there's a lot going on it's uh
1: so back to the the question at hand uh tom heaton looked pretty good uh even at his you know slightly advanced age and he looked good at um at Burnley before, and we actually praised that transfer in the summertime. Like we've given Villa a hard time about a lot of stuff, but the Heaton one, we were pretty happy with.
0: Yeah, that one. Yeah, felt fair. Yeah.
1: Is so the English question. So assume that we're not impressed by Pickford, and also assume that England aren't really like playing sort of the, the Pep Guardiola possession game um, of these guys. Now I'm trying to remember if all of these guys have like the passports that they have. But Dean Henderson, we know, is is English and really good. Right. And, and has, yeah. Dean Henderson was like, I think actually literally the first guy I noticed in the whole data set when we first put in um, put in the goalkeeper module. I was like, this guy's really interesting because he was yeah. down, uh, I think, in League One at the time. He was. And, and just never gave up any goals versus how many shots he was facing. Another guy on there with a slightly confusing name because it's got a Mac in front of it. But Alex McCarthy looks like he's been really excellent so far this year as well. So those two guys, if you're looking at England as as you know potential um, uh, starters or, or ones that you want to put in, in the Euros mix, like, those are probably the first two names that we would have on that list.
0: It's interesting, isn't it? Because, well, t- traditionally keepers, English keepers, it was always like a kind of job for life. Someone got in there, and not, Pickford will probably retain the slot just because he was the World Cup goalkeeper and they were successful there. But yeah, it doesn't. It feels like a position in transition. It doesn't feel like you've got, you know, if 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 Allison or De Gea were English, you'd be like, yep, they're they England's keeper. They just are. But there's no there's no one there's no you know no no one that plays for you know the absolute. Um, top club. See, this is the thing with Henderson. I think Henderson's interesting enough, he's shown enough that you could you would potentially um, bring him back into. I think he's the
1: heir apparent to United, United. and yeah. he should be starting for England. And you've got enough information and enough data that says that that's just true. Matt Ryan is Australian. He's pretty high on that list. Um, then you get Greybeard <laughs> the the oldest guy possible on the list. I think is uh, is Ben Foster,
0: and he's been ben all right. Foster. It's been okay, yeah. By the looks of things, but again, this is only one aspect of it. You know, the style of how you, what you want your keeper to do. Obviously, you know, if you're Pep Guardiola and you're recruiting, then you know maybe maybe a Dean Henderson wouldn't be the person that you'd consider because you want other things from your keeper. And and shot stopping is noisy. that's you know, it's it's something that we you know we're well aware of. However. Like if your shot stopper is bottom of a shot stopping list every season, then you'd probably be foolish just to say like, "Well, I'm going to wait till next season until I've seen enough evidence," because you know I need more evidence. It, you've got to make decisions. It's a, it's a, football's a moving target. You've got to make decisions based on you know a variety of aspects. All right. So what you got now? Any updates on upcoming graduate
1: schemes, James?
0: <laughs> have we any updates? <laughs> I don't know, Ted. I, my my inbox is forever uh, uh I, forever getting inquiries. I'm sure yours is the same. I'm not sure, we haven't really formalised that. We haven't ever so busy. I mean we we've got a variety of kind of like events and things that we're we're trying to organise, training training things, conferences and stuff, and uh all sorts of other things we're trying
1: to get this planned and trying to get the numbers sorted um and also like make sure that we've got the budget uh but yes so we're going to be hiring some number of graduates in the summer mostly on the tech side and that's going to be true forever like we just are a tech company um probably uh a marketing uh person and when i say graduates i mean people who've just graduated university like not one year interns um kind of move past the intern stuff like we we want people to to come and stay generally it takes a lot of work uh to get interns up to speed and we always pay them anyway so like we're not like living off the back of free intern labor um so yeah well once we have this sorted out and done correctly we will post it but in general if you want to work at statsbomb uh we are a tech company and we are going to be hiring developers from now until forever uh, and we might hire like, you know, one or two analysts a year and one or two data scientists a year and then all the other things that companies need. But we'll hire somewhere uh, a, a number, uh, a multiple of the the other ones. So
0: We have got one job out there at the moment, haven't we? We, we do,
1: yeah. Of- so we've got a, a sales exec job um, in Espanol, uh, Spain, Latin America, Portugal. And that one is full-time sales um, probably based in Spain or Portugal and uh, that's the current job that we have open
0: right next question Sheffield United make the Euro Open League so this is a hypothetical is it if the only goal is money well that's not very nice is it do you one advise them to get knocked out as soon as possible to focus on the league or two tell them to spend the 20-30 million necessary to get some players in and really have a go for it
1: Sheffield United what position are they in currently
0: are they in fifth. Are they they, this are, they fifth? are.
1: This is why you left this one in. I we bet. we we never do like year-long bits, but I think that this one has been fun. So who's
0: in know. fifth? Well, yeah. I mean, i i Sheffield United next season. It, it, it's a it's a fascinating situation. We've seen other clubs do this, like come up into the Premier League, have a good season. Yep, they've cracked it. They're doing good. The season two's harder. Um, I think like uh, Wolves started this season. Um, uh, you know, in Europe and had a relatively kind of like slow start in the, to their league form. Burnley definitely did that off the back of their very good season. You know, the fact they got into Europe meant that. Uh, it's hard to say. Is it? Is it the traveling? Is it the more fixtures? Is it just, you know, life moves on a bit? But sort season out, two.
1: Can you keep your best players? So here's a fun one, though. <laughs> How many shots per game is the fifth place team taking?
0: It's not <laughs> lots, is it? <laughs> Ten point two <laughs> yeah so you know they, 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 they you feel like they've got some kind of like stability they, they they seem like a stable. they don't give up much they don't take much but they, they, the, the fixtures could spit out something horrible you know you might, they might end up coming back from Europa League ties in in Latvia and facing Liverpool away first six games might have a horrible bunch of fixtures and they end up you know 16th or 17th after six games and it's like right now I if I was Sheffield United next season I'd be like right we the still the first thing that we got to do is is ensure that we are not relegated, and that's the first thing. And don't worry about anything else. Like you know, that's that's the bigger picture. Because I think you can. Not that I expect anyone at Sheffield United to get above their station or think that you know, oh, the Premier League's easy. We've cracked it. You know, it seems like they've got a shrewd team uh, working there. But I think definitely the you know next season, it's just a case of like Premier League status is the most important thing we've got to achieve. And the last thing we need to do is because they could they could essentially do the same things they were doing this season and find themselves at the wrong end of the table, and then just spend the whole season thinking, like, what, what's gone wrong? What have we done wrong? What is what is it? And it would be like, nothing's gone wrong. It's just the way these things kind of shake out sometimes. So I um, have
1: a slightly different perspective on this. Go on. Uh, based on the fact that I feel like when a team that never really gets there uh, gets into Europe, so a Stoke, a Burnley, a uh, I could have said something about, mean about Newcastle, but I won't. Uh, <laughs> and and they get back to there. So like, you know, some of them have history that. that but it's been a while. I feel like they kind of owe it to the fans, to like you know, pursue that and have those away days and and to try and make it enjoyable. And I'm not sure that Burnley's trek was was ever particularly enjoyable. And you know, all we heard was the incessant complaining about the the lead up and screwing up preseason and stuff like that. But you know Sheffield United seem like they're pretty stable. They've got a good group of of guys that are mostly in and around like the right age. And you know they they seem to also to be willing to to spend money on a guy like Sander Berger. Yeah. Uh why not? You know, like give it give it a bit, but you know, pursue that and and see where it ends up. That's that's my that's my perspective.
0: Yeah, and no, from the fan perspective I t- I can totally totally appreciate that. You know, you you spent time down in League 1, you know, you've had you've some dark days. And like now now you you know, you're, you get drawn against i don't know Fiorentina or something, and you're going fly to Florence, great fun, <laughs> yeah, this is brilliant, but yeah um, I'm, seriously, <laughs> like go somewhere nice. <laughs> like, sure. Yeah. Why, why? not? Yeah. yeah. You know. So. So. Yeah. There's, there's, there's that aspect from the you know the fan perspective, you you cannot deny. But you know, from a, from a club perspective and the future and building that, it, it's yeah, it's too, it's too easy to just, just to get drawn into like the difficult side of things. And I'm not saying that would happen or could happen. They might, you know, they might be like wolves and you know have the strength to kind of like deposit themselves safely in mid table uh, going forward i think that said wolves spent quite a lot of money and the the quality of the players that they were bringing in was that you know that probably a step above uh, less less risks less gambles and you know that contributed to wolves uh, bedding in quite quite readily after coming up so yeah a lot of things in play but here's a fun stat go on
1: uh what is the most goals anyone has scored in the league for Sheffield united this year
0: it's something like seven or something,
1: five or something.
0: Not. It's much, it? five. Is it five?
1: <laughs> David Go McGoldrick on. has more expected goals without scoring than anyone has scored
0: actual goals across like you know two thirds of the season. Now. Yeah, yeah. Good Goodman wrote a little thing on the site about this because it is it is quite interesting and it it does it does throw open that question because you know McGoldrick does a lot for that side, but he just can't hit hit the goal, he can't score, and at some point do you think you know do you like when you know your top scorer has only got 5 goals and your your goals main you know kind of forward hasn't scored at all then obviously ideas about changing who who starting <laughs> do come to mind even if the, you know the the work hard striker that you love has is you know a key member of the team you're still going to be thinking where can i get some more goals from i'm content with the fact that this is not my problem <laughs> <laughs> I'm quite I'm quite pleased Lee Moose's done alright there and he he's he's been a bit in and out of the team um but he's played more than he did when he was at Bournemouth. Uh, but yeah he's he's contributed pretty well and he's he's managed to get a few goals. Uh he's I think yeah he's 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 got five. Him and Flack have got five. um uh, McBurney's got four. Lundstrom Lundstrom's got four. Yeah, so we shall see. We shall see. What have we got okay. now? What have we got now? Uh it's a question for you, James. This isn't for me. Is Ted highlighted these questions. they're all like how, how tell us things you like about Ted. It might as well be. How do you hey, foresee
1: You were the one that told me to highlight the questions I was interested I in? I didn't
0: highlight any of time. <laughs> how do you foresee the adaptations of Brentford to the Premier League? Should they get promoted? Comparison to Villa to Manager maybe. Person that admits not to watching much Brentford. I watched some Brentford last. This card is
1: way easy. before the horse, by the
0: way. Yeah it is. <laughs> It was interesting because they played Leeds and they're the two kind of like standout expected goals teams in the, in the championship. And um, Leeds, they drew 1-1, but Leeds were distinctly the better team last night. And, I mean, that's the thing. Leeds can sort of turn it on. Bam Bamford. Bamford's so far behind his expected goals. Poor lad. Anyway, Ted, <laughs> please answer right. the question.
1: Uh So one of the things that I think is pretty interesting about Brentford and potentially going up is that for the first time since I've been following the team, they have a good defense and they were not good at defending under Warburton and they were not good in sort of the interim era outside of Lee Carsley. I think Lee Lee actually had them defending fairly well uh, and it it cost them on the attacking side, but um, Lee decided that. It, it was too big of a cost to his family to to keep doing that as a head coach there. Um, so yeah, anyway, uh, and then uh, Dean Smith came in and like Brentford never had a good defense and uh, that translated to like Villa as well. So I don't think the, I think the fact that they defend pretty well means that they might have a chance to go up and be resilient they also have a forward line that's certainly capable of playing in the premier league uh nor was a really nice signing their center backs have done pretty well and thomas frank is good uh we i had <laughs> we had thomas frank on on lists for head coaching replacements like three years ago uh maybe four years ago and we were like oh, actually we think this guy's really quite interesting for a number of different teams and we recommended him for some jobs and he ended up getting promoted after um after dean left um but we like this was back when he's at bronby so like we this is kind of like an old time thing nice. anyway so yeah go ahead
0: that's something that's interesting, actually, because I think when he when he stepped up into that role, it was like right, you know, the the assistant gets the main job. I think a lot of people were probably quite sceptical about that, about that as a concept working. You know, when the when the guy the assistant steps into the main job, and he had quite a slow start, didn't he? He, he you know, couldn't couldn't. I think didn't win a game for a, or you know, won very one out of the first few games or whatever it was. And yeah, the fact that he's managed to turn that around and you know. St- be in that role for quite a long time now, and you know he's helming a successful team, and we we know well that Brentford are an organisation that that look beyond the league table, and they will be looking at metrics and thinking like, "This is good, this is all good." So well, there was uh, a period where Tom- there.
1: There was a period where Thomas didn't have great metrics during that run. And I was right. like, what's going on? And basically, like, they had a bunch of injuries kind of all at once. And and that really struggled. But, yeah, I it's, it's a little bit of, of a perseverance from, uh, you know, the administrative and the management group there uh, saying, you know, we actually think this guy's pretty good. We don't have any other um, great choices right now. And we're going to ride this out and see where we end up. So, um, yes, they... Their attack's very exciting, but the the positive thing from my perspective, and having sort of seen a lot of championship over the last seven eight years, is that they they defend well and they have the the fewest goals given up in the entire uh, league. And yeah, that's that's a promising uh, perspective. And then in comparison to Aston Villa due to manager, you know, if we look at Villa and their Premier League stats, the defense is what's letting them down.
0: Yeah, I don't think that's a, that's a huge surprise. Really, it have remained fascinating to me. You know, and it, it so it's a conversation topic that's come up recently. Uh, certainly, this week I've seen it banded around a few times. Is that no one, no one really thinks there's a there's a terrible team in the Premier League this season. You know, that even even uh, teams like uh, say Villa and Norwich, who at various times have, have, have maybe had adaptation struggles, having come up last season, they're not bad teams. They're okay. Um, and yeah what happens next for for the the teams uh, you know who do survive you know villa could finish 17th and you'd be like well that's a successful season oh yeah <laughs> they finish 18th <laughs> it's like oh my god this sure. is the worst so thing that's if, ever happened to us yeah if so. villa
1: finished 18th off the back of lighting a ton of money on fire because they had <laughs> the fifth largest net spend in europe not in the right. premier league in right. europe uh then that's like a catastrophic season and horribly expensive and you know good good on their owners for wanting to contribute you know the best players and allowing them to sign players but you know bad on some elements for not quite signing you know good enough Premier League players or whatever uh you know the two worst teams that we have in expected goals are villa which is not a huge surprise but um yeah they're in 17 so it's in around the the drop zone and then the magical newcastle who are six points above them which feels like less than it was at one point. You know, they were they're running very hot.
0: Someone, yeah, someone asked. I'm sure one of the questions that we we skipped over was related to Newcastle, and they they do they do remain fascinating because Newcastle. It looks like I mean they only need a couple of wins to be safe, really, out of the last however many games it is, 11, 12, 13 games. So they should be fine. And Steve Bruce will rightly collect the plaudits. Like I did, I did what I was supposed to do. Like this is fine. But, if you're, you know, obviously a takeover could change matters, but, you know, if you're Newcastle in the summer, then you need to take a long, hard look at the metrics and say, like, right, these were bad metrics. Um, we can't do this every year and hope that it works, because, like, it, it won't work every year. And, you know, there, there's a gap there that you need to traverse to become any any club of newcastle's kind of like size and scale they've yo-yoed a couple of times needs to be considering like how how do we just glue ourselves to the middle of the premier League and make sure that we're there every year because again like it's the the financial differences are so huge and when you've got the benefit of having a huge stadium that you can pack out every year um you know villa similar situation like kind of 35 40, 000 stadium you know if you can get in the premier League you can create re- solid revenue uh you know can you just deposit yourself in eighth to twelfth every year and then see what happens after that
1: yeah it so in the so on the same number of points as newcastle are southampton uh who have had a hot streak in order to get there and look like they're they're better than that but they're in 13th and then there's newcastle in and 12th and then also burnley you know sort of they only need a three wins to to basically be guarantee safety uh, out of out of 13 so they should get there and then you know perennial mid-table team arsenal so uh yeah not that big deal
0: <laughs> we haven't done much on that maybe we'll have to we'll wait we'll wait a month why, or two why haven't we done much on arsenal james uh, ted <laughs> pick the
1: questions that you like
0: okay let's not talk about that <laughs> I don't, did anyone ask about arsenal? maybe he didn't here's one has uh, here's one that didn't hire has marino improved tottenham's underlying numbers compared to pox last year yes uh, but Manchester game like didn't do a lot of good for that. Moving on quickly, what's uh, so next? Norwich. So this is an interesting
1: question that isn't on the questions, but like kind of leads me there. Like Norwich have some really interesting, and it does relate to some some things people have asked. Norwich have some interesting choices. So like assume, and they're not dead and gone. We're not like riding. Like the thing that we've definitely learned about the Premier League in recent years is that it's hard to for teams to be like seriously doomed. Like, mm. you can come back from getting zero points in, like, the first seven or eight matches and still end up staying up. So Yeah,
0: yeah it's still a third of the season. To go, you know, that's, that's <laughs> a, a long time.
1: Yeah, they're, they're seven points back. It's not impossible still. So But if Norwich were to go, they have some interesting choices to do because they've got, like, a young cadre of players that are pretty good that they could sell for you know, good chunks of money. Like, Bandia is is definitely a vi- the type of player that would excite some people. Todd Cantwell also potentially and that's not the only uh, talent they have max aaron's like you know there's there's some mm. stacked talent in there. Yeah, and the yeah. question then becomes for them as another sort of perennial yo yo team, but not one that has the, the budgetary firepower of a newcastle. Like what do they choose to do? And I don't have any leads on that. It's just like these are the questions that you ask yourself when you're running teams and,
0: and how do you prepare for that? They're gonna win at the weekend as well. Do you know where they're playing? Uh Bournemouth? No, home okay. to Liverpool of people uh, jumping out of their seat in rage. How dare you suggest? <laughs> how dare you suggest that? <laughs>
1: I've taunted Liverpool fans enough this week, uh, but ta- there were plenty of sensible Liverpool fans that we had in our in our mentions from last week, saying that you know I've really appreciated the the nuanced tone that you talked about Liverpool being a great team,
0: but then still having a
1: tiny little bit of luck to go twenty four and one and zero uh, yeah.
0: over course of twenty five matches. Yeah. It's uh, it. that it rages on that. That debate has been like <laughs> going on like ever ever since. And there, there are lots of little points, but I think Grace might be writing about Liverpool. Uh, that might be on the site today. So well, she's a Liverpool
1: fan, so they're not allowed to get angry at her. Well, that's not allowed Liverpool to get angry, account, at is it? I mean, this is it. <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> I've I've run the numbers and I've established as a Liverpool fan that <laughs> Liverpool are the finest team in the last hundred years. That's fine. Uh, yeah, right. You're not allowed to write about your own team anymore. Anyone, those are the rules, right? Anyway, what's our next question? <laughs> um,
1: what's next for public analytics? Expected goals seems fairly ingrained, although often misread. What will be the next big thing?
0: That's a tough question, really, because like when we when we got asked this, I, I think we got asked this around about the conference, and everyone was making like EPV models and stuff, and we had like a lot of those kind of things. Um, that's, that's still something that that. Has been used. Did you see Devin Plula's list of like questions facing analytics in the future? It was basically things that it felt like he he hadn't got hadn't got round to answering or was interested by. That's find that on Twitter if, if anyone if anyone's out there. Devin Plula, the analytics guy from Toronto, who used to work for Opter, and is very smart guy, very shrewd guy. Uh, yeah, he he had an interesting set of questions about like what what challenges analytics face, and uh, I, I won't delve into them right now but um it's it's worth checking out if you if you think about like what what tasks could could you could you go towards if if you're interested in this area what do you think ted to, to go back to the actual question uh so i think like some
1: of the things we've Already done in a way that we're pretty happy with. And it's interesting because like our our stuff isn't necessarily public. Uh like a lot of our modeling stuff just goes out to customers. And we don't offer that much clarity to non-customers because it's an advantage. Like if you're paying us for this additional service, then you know you should be able to, to have a bit of it behind the screen. Uh yeah. Uh I mean the expected possession value stuff is is the right way to look at the game, it's the right framework. Um, I think that you know, towards the end of this year, I, I, on this show or on our podcast, I've talked a number of times about things that I would like us to get the modeling and things that move the needle in, in sort of small to serious ways. And sometimes we're able to, to produce those quickly. And other times, you know, we end up in a six month rabbit hole that doesn't end up in a, in a production uh, environment almost ever. So it's, it's tricky for me to, to say that because I don't like to leak things to our competitors either. But I think that you know, just doing a possession value model doesn't mean that you've done a good one. Um, and some of those have like pretty significant holes in frameworks of how they view things. Um, you know, Maybe that's a data hole or problem, or maybe it's a, a, an issue with approach and, and not knowing how to solve some of the, the technical issues from other approaches. You know, Our Markov model that we published from Derek's side that is you know, a small update on, I think, on what Sarah Rudd did in 2010-11. So like, you know, this stuff's been out there for a while. Uh is good, but we 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 found some other ways to look at it that were pretty hyped with. That said, I think that this is just potentially fucking boring for people who are normal fans and they don't need to know this shit and it's not exciting. Uh at some point it may come like somebody so say Monday Night Football decides to talk about what a possession value model looks like and how it impacts the game and then you start talking about where the really valuable areas of the pitch are and players that are able to consistently move the ball into more valuable areas uh, you know, and you then compare like you know one center back to another or midfielders to another or why does this guy who is often really wide but then manages to get the ball sort of deep and central like why is he the most valuable player on the planet like that is is really a significant and an interesting way to talk about the game but you're gonna have to have a lot of thought on how to present this information it is crazy valuable but you know you're gonna have to sit and hope that care is going to give you a few hours and then you come back to it a few weeks later and a few weeks later and then like you know two, three months into the season, then you start talking about it. And then you start talking about like where different players rank. And then maybe, you know, it ends up like, cause it is useful to share this on a video perspective. Maybe you end up showing this, uh, you know, pregame, who are the most valuable ball movers and how might that impact how this team defends? Like all of these are implications and practical implications and really interesting implications that you can put on TV and I think that's where it might get a little bit interesting. But you have to be sensitive that you got to build it up. It's not just plunk that in there and say, "Oh, well, here's expected possession value. Why yeah, do I care?"
0: I, I think yeah, there's still there's still room for manoeuvre in um, in kind of like certainly in like TV presentations or even like you know newspaper articles and various websites that that write things just for uh, like. Uh, annotating the kind of like the considered stats view like there's still there's still a lot of people that are just like right we have these stats what matters well let's go with this and like that kind of like translation of the expertise that uh, is required to actually uh, know when you can lean into a into a stat and say that's meaningful and when you should actually kind of like hesitate a little bit and be a little bit you know, more kind probabilistic about what the meaning behind these things are. I think that those subtleties, um, there's, there's still room for maneuvering there. Obviously, Ted, we're experts in this area, so do get in touch. Uh, i was but- told that
1: I'm not an expert in <laughs> analytics or sporting edges or luck, so I have to listen to what the internet has told me.
0: <laughs> anyway, but but it, 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 definitely that like that you know that would be great if you you know cut to a halftime show like you know. The, Broadcast of a Premier League game, and it's like right, okay, this, 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 these, these, we're going to hit on these things. They'll drive us to which clips that um that that matter, you know, like what what were the really good chances, not just oh, and then I don't know, I can't think of a good example, and then and then De Bruyne hit it from 40 yards, and it flew over the bar, you know. It starts, so what, you know, just
1: the the post-match shows only talk about VAR, so. And oh, I, I don't even know wrong, they, how they have a post match show when there hasn't been a VAR decision. Uh, like, how do they
0: even program for that? Um, VAR? D- who's, like, we haven't spoken about this for ages. Like, just let's take any of the any of the new ones out of the argument. But for fuck's sake, like, it's, <laughs> it's not right. James anyway.
1: James dropped enough bombs. You know he's got serious opinions on this one. <laughs> All right, Um, uh, how do – oh, God. (laughs) Why did I highlight this one? How do Liverpool progress from this excellent team to be considered one of the most complete teams ever, assuming their limited wage budget restrictions, which, you know, limit is uh, doing a lot of work on this one. (laughs) Limited wage budget restrictions means they won't sign a superstar like Mbappe.
0: Right. Right. Well I think Liverpool Liverpool a shame that you don't have to sign a superstar like Mbappe necessarily you'd love to if you could it'd be nice yeah that's uh, that's I mean, that's nice they signed they signed uh, you know under the under the kind of radar superstar like Salah that's similar Money, fit, fit of the fee, yeah, money, brilliant. Sure,
1: um, uh, my my point on this, the reason why I highlighted it was if they win this title, they will be remembered, and you know, going to a final and then winning a Champions League and then winning this title, like that is super memorable. Now, will the rest of the sniffy world who are already bitchy about the Premier League money? uh give them respect unless they also go like back-to-back champions leagues or something like that which you know historically had not been done up until real madrid decided to like ruin that argument uh maybe not but man if you win this title and like especially if you win it in this fashion which they're doing right now and look i'll be honest with you i don't give a shit if they get a loss right like if they go 100 points or more like it doesn't matter (laughs) but it's like yes okay you are at least the equal of you know, in the output and results, the best Premier League team to, to have played. Yeah, um, that's
0: that's the thing. That's yeah, it. you're right. Go on, you're right. I th- I agree. With I agree with that at some at some point, it's like look, they actually did this. Like that's that's what's in the record books. Like if you, I bet if you went and coded the Invincibles up like that season, and you looked at it, you'd be like, oh, they should have lost a few of these games. Oh sure, <laughs> no question. But it, but so what? It doesn't matter, you know. It, it, you you've got your status you've got your your role you've you've done really well i think one of the funny things about um how this liverpool team is being perceived by like the wider media is um the wider media is full of two sets distinct sets of people absolutely chock full of them number 1 Liverpool players uh, from from like the from the eighties uh, have, have have you know dotted all around the media who were number better two, than this team, I'm sure. And, and they, number, their era
1: was definitely better, James. <laughs>
0: number two, Man United players uh, oh, uh, from the nineties <laughs> and the two thousands. And the thing is, these two sets of people were part of legendary teams. And the thing that these legendary teams did that this Liverpool team, even if it won every single game for the rest of the season, hasn't done yet, is they... And they always say it, They always say, it, they can't just go and win one title. They've got to come back and win another, and another. And it always gets said. So it's like, Liverpool could get two Champions League finals, get a 97-point season backed up by, like, say, you know, another 97-point season. Uh, but because they haven't won two title, two Premier League titles yet... Can you? There'll be debates on TV. Like, can we actually call them a great team? They and it's like, yeah, of course you can.
1: They didn't win a treble, therefore yeah. they they don't deserve. It just it does my head in. It's really the fun painful.
0: thing about the trebles. They lost lots of games that season. They in the league. They're like I think Liverpool might have got more points. Yes, already but it than... showed
1: character that they won when it mattered, James. They were <laughs> able to draw on that well. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm I'm a bit ranty because like I just like the the nonsense it really just is like just just shut up like talk to me about factual stuff like give me analysis like many of you were great players and have coaching badges like give me analysis it gives me insight as to what's happening and how people are doing things like that's interesting to me but like don't i don't care
0: <laughs> any more questions Ted? yeah
1: uh let's see um you're getting hungry aren't you Ted? uh oh that might be the problem okay uh i'm gonna Push your film questions to the end here because people love James on film. And we have one more question that I brought up because we had an argument in the office about it yesterday. Uh, so do you have tools that compare ability from league to league so that you know a player is capable of transitioning between leagues? And if so, how accurate have you found the model to be? So,
0: I think this is a tough question. It Go is a tough a question.
1: Uh, but it, it kind of shows how we think about things as a company, and I was I was surprised one how we aligned, but two um, how strong the the opinions uh, generally were. So one, <clears throat> there are a number of different ways you can do this, and you know, the the approach from the from the Elo ratings is there. Uh, you've got SPI uh, over on Five Hundred and Thirty Eight doing stuff, or ESPN. Uh, I've worked in big gambling models that do equivalency ratings for all the places that they can. And I've talked a little bit historically about how, you know, even in one of the biggest, sharpest betting syndicates in the world, um, we didn't really know how good the teams in Australia were compared to the teams in the UK or europe because they're just they never played there like there weren't enough linkages to to build that type of information and when you're looking at players you're not only looking at how good are they and even the teams that they're on but how good are the the teams they play against because you know if you're playing against a bunch of cream puffs then you, you put up better stats and those stats might not necessarily have much meaning in translating to a tougher league. So anyway, I've worked in a lot of different approaches and I could tell you factually that this is quite hard and the error bars on them are significant. And even then, even when you're doing things like that, you still have the squiffiness of the age cohort that you're playing against. And if you're curious about that, like look at um, the, the Unknowing Project. Is that what it is? uh the the lewis book michael lewis book undoing project undoing project yeah michael lewis book that talks about kahneman's work and also has daryl Morey in there and joey dorsey and stuff like that so like they're they're good stories about that and things that we we discovered in parallel with daryl sort of at nearly at the same time um different sports but stuff that matters so anyway we and then we have our own ways of looking at this saying you know not only what did the teams look like there but like does the talent coming out of those leagues look like because that's also a different question but one that from a recruitment perspective you care about a lot and uh, we were like well we could kind of we could do a, a weighting of the leagues and a, an evaluation of the leagues internally because we have more knowledge about this so you're you're then taking expert opinion but we all came to the same conclusion at the same time which is basically if we were to publish this sort of thing in our uh, in our platform not on the site or anything like that, but just in a platform to help customers. The problem is like they would start to take it as gospel uh, because we have like they would think that we've done all the work behind the scenes as we do for almost everything else we produce and then be like, all right, so Statsbomb thinks this. And the fact of the matter is like Statsbomb might not think that that strongly. (laughs) And, and, And but, you know, it's in the product, so it must must be how we look at it. And. The reason why I mentioned this is because I don't think a lot of other companies in this space look at it like that. Like they're not as careful about the reputation and they're certainly not as careful about the knock on effect that that might have for the customers using their product. So if I were on the customer side and I saw this and I know that Statsbomb like bust their ass in order to do really good stuff. Um, you know, I would think that we had done a lot of research as opposed to just pulling ourselves and saying, oh yeah, this is what we think the quality of the leagues are. (laughs) And so we basically came around to, we can't publish this because the impact of it and the trust level would be something that makes us uncomfortable. And I, I thought, you know, different accuracies is, is a big deal. Like the models especially have, you know, really significant confidence intervals and and error bars and no one talks to you about that stuff either but we at least take quite a bit of time to think about you know should we give this to our customers is it trustworthy enough to deliver it to them and what are we not telling them in in doing so and in some cases it just means we don't put things in the product because it's you know
0: the and that's that's you know as well something you know another kind of subtlety here is that that's essentially talking about teams like quality of teams and quality of leagues and like you know if we boil it back down to the question people are asking about like specific players um you know the, the translation of, of from one league to another and i think that that's that's it there's, there's always going to be some some kind of like skill of judgement in in regarding to like you know how well can a player uh, translate how how well do they fit within within their league you know and you, Age profile of the league is another thing. I think you might have hinted on it there. Like uh, you know, we always think about uh, the Dutch leagues. A league that I think we've talked about this before. Uh, like you know, if you if you're ripping it up in the Dutch league and you're 26, it's not a case of like well done. It's more a case of like why are you still in the Dutch league and you're 26, and you know why isn't someone else picked you up and things like this. So. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's difficult to get difficult to get through. And you're right. I think you know, airing on the side of caution with these things, rather than you know coming up with a here's my brand new model and this random centre back you've never heard of is the fifth best centre back in the world. Maybe don't do that. Anyway, right. Film do questions. You want, do you want to talk hungry? about your?
1: Well, I mean, we can. I can talk do this quickly. It. You can end it. You can end it. You know, I'll just like <laughs> go eat something, and you can have as long as you want to talk about film. <laughs>
0: Speaking of which, be- oh,
1: shit. Now that, that this, this is important, you owe me a film. And the world is clamoring for this. Like, clearly, you owe me a film <sighs> that we have to watch and then review together <sighs> in the coming weeks.
0: I've watched Parasite. Is that the film? No. Okay. But I've watched it. You could, we could do. You 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 could watch you could watch it, and then uh, we could do it. Interesting to me how the Academy managed to nominate uh, the best director, best film, best screenplay, but apparently none of the actors deserved any nod. So this film got made that was universally praised and widely loved, but none of the actors within it were deemed <laughs> noteworthy enough to get individual nods. Anyway, Hollywood right uh, award I'm, shows we don't even do awards around here <laughs> yeah we're ranting about blooming golden balls or something <laughs> right very quickly so you can switch off if you, if you were here for the football very quickly i'm going back to 1950 because this question got asked so i thought i could look at this quickly i've watched 28 out of about 80 uh best picture winners and i've only watched two and a half uh in the last decade because the question was how many best oscar best picture oscar winners have i seen last decade this century all time and the ones i've seen were parasite which was good although it, it, there was an odd familiarity about parasite and i was thinking about this and i think it's maybe actually kind of like uh, actually speaks in somewhat to my my childhood a little bit as uh not being quite as poor as the poor family uh but uh we certainly kind of like lived um my mum used to like clean someone's house so I used to go with her sometimes It was quite cool Got to play with all their toys and stuff But anyway, that's that's life I watched Argo Argo was garbage That was terrible And I watched half of Birdman And got bored So that's my That's my best I watched Birdman Yeah, did you like it? Did, did it get bit uh, better?
1: <laughs> it was Fine and weird But I, I like genuinely love Michael Keaton So I was like fully willing to be involved Argo Which one was Argo?
0: Uh Ben Affleck messing around trying to do some kind of like I don't know. Oh yeah, definitely have seen that one. It's fine. Whatever. It, uh, it wasn't the it, best picture an or anything. It's it was, a
1: it's a good action movie. I came out the same year as Django and Chain, Life of Pi, Lincoln, Silver Lining's Playbook, which I hated. Uh, <laughs> uh
0: King's Speech I saw. You've not seen The King's Speech? No, I tell you what, I've got this Are I you allowed to live
1: in this Is this is this a Welsh thing?
0: No, this is just this is a me thing. Like when a when a film gets like hyped up and it's like, oh, it's it's marvellous. You really should see it. Oh, it really is wonderful. Like I I just don't want to see it. <laughs> and then like the King's Speech is one of them, so I haven't seen it. Uh, yeah. So you should be fired from your Englishness. Uh, <laughs> Slumdog. Yeah, I saw that. No that Country. Right. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, the, going back further, I've seen these. Yeah. The Departed. Uh, yep. Have Depart you unfortunately seen Crash? no i haven't seen that
1: crash one like the same year as broke back and capote uh munich i don't know um yeah anyway we don't have to continue on with this but like i also because i have children young children what happens when you have children is you stop going to the movies like ever it doesn't (laughs) it doesn't happen occasionally you'll find yourself there watching peppa peg and you're like what have i done wrong with my life (laughs) uh and and you know it's, and peppa pig's like on the high end of the good stuff but uh yeah so anyway you stop going to the movies and then like along with stopping going to movies you often don't have time to watch movies or like james you don't have the attention span
0: <laughs> not anymore though. No. one flew <laughs> over the cookies nest that's probably the best The apart from the godfather one and two which you know whatever one flew over the cookies nest is probably the best film that's won best picture i think Interesting. I'm pictures. not going to go down
1: this road because I'm not well educated enough anymore. Uh, I mean there's certainly ones that have lost that were fascinating, but all right, um, so you owe me a movie, and we haven't really talked about Parasite yet. Uh, we could or you could pick something else, but it has to be chosen this week so that we can get a podcast in you know before the end of February that does the movie thing because people love James on film.
0: <laughs> yes, okay, we'll think about that.
1: All right, and next week we are at the Leicester Tactics Conference, so please come say hello. James will gladly talk to you about all the films that you want there, but he won't talk to you about television because he can't be arsed. And on that note...
0: (laughs) Godspeed, all. Speak to you soon. Bye.